Well, welcome to Saturday Night Church. My name is Margaret, and I'm so glad you've chosen to join us here. Um, we would love to know you are here, so please leave a message for us to, to know that you are. Well, this is an exciting weekend here at Manor Anglican Church. Uh, since March, we have had to you have all our services online, haven't we? And we've been sharing church through the screen. But here we now have got SNC uh, experiencing church on the site. And then tomorrow we have the kids coming and enjoying their program with their leaders and here on site as well. But we realise that those who are watching uh, the online service here tonight, perhaps you had just missed a spot and you weren't able to join SNC in person. So we want to reassure you that when you receive the text message, when you receive the email, register and we will have you. The, we will love to see you here next weekend. And for those who weren't able to uh, be in on the SNC service uh, because you're not yet ready to come and have a face-to-face -face service, we want to assure you that the online services will be continuing in the future. They're not going away in a hurry. So this week, we are going to continue our life teaching series on the Paul's letter that he wrote to Titus. So last week, we were encouraged, weren't we, by Andrew as he opened up the Bible and helped to explain what Titus was um, being taught by Paul on what it means to be in relationship with each other in the church. But we also met some of our church members who were helping us understand what it means to live a daily life with Jesus and how this has impact on us others. So this week we are continuing the series, having a look at Titus again, and Stefan is going to help us to see what motivates us, what even gives us a desire to want to look like Jesus in our daily living. So it all sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But before we begin, before this all happens, let us sing our first song together, Forever Rain. nothing good in me you are love you are love on display for all to see you are light you are light when the darkness closes in you are hope you are hope you have covered all my sin you are peace you are peace when my fear is crippling Someday. 
Thank you. Thanks very much to the music team. So we are now going to watch a video that was put together by some of the members of our SNC. A video creatively put together to capture something that we may have all been experiencing and what we've been going through in these last months of this year and how much we do need Jesus at this time. New South Wales is in the grip of a major bushfire emergency. And the World Health Organization has Sydney declared region, coronavirus a global pandemic with more than Show me your face Fill up this space My world needs you right now My world needs you right now I can't escape Being afraid Fill me with you Show me your face, fill up this space, my world needs you right now, my world needs you right now, I can't escape being afraid. Thank you. 
Fill the space. My world needs you right now. My world needs you right now. Well, thanks Amy Ravel, um, who developed the ideas in the video, and for Nathan Bull, who edited and he, and he filmed the video with, um, with Amy. Much appreciated. And I thought when I first watched it, I thought it was a powerful reminder of what we have been experiencing this year, but also how the Bible is always teaching us that we do need a rescuer. And Stefan is going to explain this further from the letter of Titus to us today. In a moment, Bruce is going to pray for us, but before he comes up and leads us in prayer, I thought that I would help us with some of the church news. For those who missed out on attending SNC week uh, this week, we just would love you to register early and so that we don't miss a spot this weekend. Uh, Bruce and Judy's farewell um, is just around the corner and you're going to be receiving some information this week uh, by email and also will be on our Facebook page. So it will give you all the information you will need um, and also an addition on how to register to particular events. Uh, thank you again for all those who financially support the ministries of our church and the details of how to do this is on our church website. So now I'm going to ask Bruce to come and lead us in prayer. So friends, let's pray together. First of all, pray a prayer of confession. God of all mercy, we humbly admit that we need your help. We've wandered from your way. We've sinned in thought, word and deed and have failed to do what is right. You alone can save us. Have mercy on us. Wipe out our sins and teach us to forgive others. Bring forth in us the fruit of the Spirit that we may live the new life to your glory. This we ask in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. And just listen to the words of Micah 7. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities in the depths of the sea. They are the words from Micah 7. Father, we thank you for cleansing us and forgiving us. Help us to live that new life to your glory. Amen. 
Let's now pray for those in need. Father, in these difficult times with so many whose livelihoods are suffering, so many who are ill, so many who have lost loved ones, and so many who are suffering emotionally, we ask you to have mercy. Please help us to learn any lessons we can from what you have allowed to happen and heal our land. We thank you for the great health system we have when so many in our world do not have this privilege. We thank you for the many blessings of living in this great nation of ours. God, give us a firm and unshakable trust in your sovereignty and your goodness. Please help us to be those who bring life to others. We pray for the Christian church that it might truly be a light in our dark world. We ask you to give our world leaders wisdom as they help us navigate these difficult days, making judgment calls in uncharted territory. And we pray for wisdom to church leaders as they pastor your flock. Our Father, we pray for our own church as we slowly recommence meeting together in the coming weeks. We ask you to help us to stay safe. We long to be able to stir each other up to love and to good works. We ache to encourage each other and bear one another's burdens. But we want to be able to do that in safety and loving care for each other. So we ask you to help us in the coming weeks. And Father, we pray for our overseas partners as well. We thank you today for our new partners with the Church Missionary Society, Chris and Christy Galea, as they continue to train and work towards leaving for overseas early next year. Thank you for their passion to serve you and take their family to another country to bring the gospel to those who need to hear it clearly. We pray for them in the next months as they continue to learn the language and visit all the churches that will be supporting them in this venture. Thank you that we can expect to see them when they come to us in mid-November. And we do pray that all our services will be back to normal by then so we can hear their story, pray for them and get to know them. In the meantime, we ask for good health, endurance and joy for them as they visit six churches before ours. We also thank you for the work of the Church Missionary Society in the world and pray that you will continue to grow your kingdom through the faithful work of all CMS missionaries. Father, lastly, we thank you for your incredible goodness and grace towards us in your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for adopting us into your family and giving us the sure and certain hope of heaven. Amen.
I'm going to read the Bible to us. It comes from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority, and do not let anyone despise you. Last week, Andrew took us through the first 10 verses of Titus chapter 2, which uh, Paul encourages Titus to teach the church family what it looks like to live out what they believe in a way that makes the gospel attractive to those who watch our lives. And as we arrive now in verse 11, he gives us a beautiful summary of what is to motivate us to live that way. We've been saved by Jesus, and that should shape the way that we live our lives now. But how did Jesus save us, and how does this help us to live for him? Well, the answer to both of these questions is by grace. And we just sang about it in John Newton's famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Paul says in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, and it's that same grace, he says in verse 12, that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to say yes to living self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this age. It's the grace of God that saves us and it's the grace of God that teaches us to live a godly life. And those are the two ideas that are captured at the beginning of John Newton's famous hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And then in the second verse, God's grace first taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. You see, John Newton knew what it meant to be taught and saved by God's grace. He was a slave trader, shipping hundreds of slaves from Africa to America until one day he was miraculously converted. The story goes that just off the coast to Ireland, his, uh, his boat was under tremendous strain and it looked like it would be shipwrecked. He prayed, something he hadn't done very much of, something he learned from his mother at a very young age, 
but he prayed to God to save him. Apparently, the, uh, the cargo filled the hole in the gap that um, was letting in all the water, and the boat was saved and travelled safely to land. And he attributes that, that point to when he was converted, to when he turned to God. John Newton discovered the grace of God that saved him, but he also discovered the grace of God which gave him the motivation over time to transform his life completely, to support the likes of William Wilberforce, to see the whole abolishment of slavery, the very trade he and his father and many before him had been in. And this is what Paul is teaching us. It's the grace of God that teaches us to change our very lifestyle. But what does Paul mean by grace? It's interesting, I've heard just recently that out in the community, grace is almost misunderstood. It's a girl's name, not something that has got so much richness in the way that the Bible speaks of it. So what is grace? Well, clearly it's a generosity, a kindness, an undeserved favour. I guess it's like if you go into somebody's home and you trample mud into their nice shag carpets and then a little later on you spill your drink on the family heirloom tablecloth and it seems that you're just doing one thing after another and yet your host still makes you feel welcome, still makes you feel like you're at home, which of course is exactly how you're treating it. That's grace. Your host treats you in a way that you do not deserve. So grace is a kindness, an undeserved favour. It's the same grace that has appeared for the salvation of all people, says Paul. And notice what it does, verse 11, it saves, and then in verse 12, it trains. Well, let's look at these in turn. First, the grace that saves us. Verse 11 says, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now, another word for salvation is the word rescue. So we could say that the grace of God has appeared to rescue all people. Now, what does Paul mean by all people? Well, he can't mean everybody everywhere will be saved because it's clear from the last verse that we'll come to soon that, well, not everybody will be saved. No, in the context of the passage, Paul is saying that God's salvation has appeared to rescue all kinds of people, older men, younger men, older women, younger women, and even slaves because of his grace. But it's not just all kinds of people, but all kinds of people who are in danger because you don't need to be rescued unless you're in danger, do you? I guess it's like you're standing there on South Cronulla Beach one day looking towards a surf club and then suddenly a lifesaver comes over and rescues you. Seems a bit crazy, doesn't it? He can't rescue you unless you're actually in danger. But he says, oh, yeah, you're in danger, all right. There was a massive wave coming in, and while you had your back to the surf, he ran down and pulled you up the beach and saved you. He rescued you. But saying that he rescued you says by definition that you were in danger, doesn't it? So back here in Titus, what is the salvation that we receive here? What is it that we've been rescued from? Well, verse 13 and 14 says this. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our glory, of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness. Now, to redeem is to buy something back, usually at a cost. So if I was to sell my watch to the pawnbroker, I would need to buy it back from the pawnbroker at what he paid me plus interest. Jesus, the Saviour, has redeemed us from wickedness, it says here. And how does he save us? Well, he saves us by giving himself. Notice there, there's that give word, that grace word, the generosity the undeserved favour. So back in verse 11, where does the grace of God appear? It appears in the person of Jesus who gave himself, that is, gave his life on the cross for other people who were totally undeserving. So Jesus pays the ransom price to redeem us, to buy us back. But to buy us back from what? Well, we're told here it is from our wickedness. That's the danger we've been rescued from, isn't it? But hang on a second, wicked? I mean, 
I'm not wicked. I mean, I might not be perfect, but, but you know, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I seek not to do the wrong thing. I haven't cheated on my wife. I've cared for my kids and given them everything that they've needed. I've been a good citizen. I've been a good friend. I mean, wicked? But think about it this way for a moment. Imagine if you were capable of only sinning three times a day. Three times. Only sinning three times a day. Now, it doesn't take much to add to three, let me say. You wake up. You get out of bed. You're a bit grumpy. But you trip on the edge of the bed and you stub your toe and you curse a profanity. Well, you then make your way um, into the bathroom, clean yourself up, and then make your way out for breakfast. But one of the family members have drunk all the milk. And so you get yourself angry just simply because what you want's not there. Well, you've got through to breakfast and you get through um, to work and a little bit later on in work, you realise I've gone through the whole four to five hours that I've been awake and not once thought of God, not once thought of um, his role in my day-to-day, not once thought about what I'm meant to be doing as I live for him. Four times, all sins, three times, all before lunch. Three times a day. Now, if it was just three times a day, sinning three times a day, that's 21 times a week. That's 93 times a month. It's 1,116 times a year. It's 78,120 times if you live to the age of 70. Now imagine that you went to a judge and said, but judge, really, please, I'm a good person. I mean, I've only sinned 78,120 times. You see, the truth is, We're just not as good as we think we are. And before our perfect God, who has created us to live for him, frankly, we're wicked. We're just good at hiding it. And so by grace, God offers to rescue us, to rescue all kinds of people from that wickedness. How? By Jesus' gracious giving of his life to redeem us from the death that we deserve. And why? Well, the last sentence tells us, so that he can purify for himself a people that are his very own, who call on him as their Lord and God, and who are eager and willing to live his way by doing what is right and good. So our only way to be saved is through God's grace shown in the death of Jesus. Now that, of course, doesn't give us a license then to go and live however we want, does it? We've seen that the purpose of this rescue is that we can now be God's people, keen to do what is good. But you may well ask, how do I know what is good? How do I know what God wants me to do? Well, this is where the second idea comes into being. The grace that saves us is also the very grace that trains us. You've may have noticed in verse 11 to 14 of Titus chapter 2 that in verse 11 it says that God's salvation, God's rescue package has appeared. It's already happened. We can receive it now. We can have the absolute assurance of heaven now. But then later on in verse 13 it says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ. And so we don't yet physically have that gift now, that heaven now. We are waiting to that great day when Jesus comes back to collect his people. It's a bit like this. Imagine you've been rescued by a lifesaver out at sea. Your boat's capsized, and the lifesaver pulls you aboard the raft. But you're not the only one that's got into trouble, and so the lifesaver tells you to stay on the life raft until he returns and takes you back to shore. I mean, you're saved. You're no longer swallowing mouthfuls of salt water. But you're yet to be saved because you're not yet back on dry lands. So what is it that you do now as you wait for your saviour, the one who has already saved you, to come back and finish the activity of saving you? 
You see, you're not waiting in any danger anymore. You're sitting there safely on the life raft, waiting for the return of your Saviour to rescue you. If we're Christians, we can be assured that we are saved now, assured of going to heaven because of the grace of God. It's not something we've done to deserve or something we can earn, but because of God's love for us and his grace, he has saved us. Yet what are we to do until we physically um, until we physically get to heaven? What do we do between now and then? That is, now that I'm on the life raft, what do I do? What is the activity? What is the lifestyle of people on the raft waiting for the Savior to come back? Well, friends, this is where our passage tells us that the grace of God that saved us is the same grace that now trains us. So how does grace train us? And what does grace train us for? Well, when we truly understand the grace that God has showed us when he rescued us, when we understand that we've been plucked from the surf and placed on the life raft for a purpose, then it becomes clear what we're supposed to do. We saw earlier that we've been saved to live a life of godliness, to live a life eager to do what is good. Can you see then the utter stupidity of jumping back into wickedness? The very thing we've been saved from, we jump back to. It's like the person who's saved from the raging sea and dragged onto the life raft only to say, oh, you know, thanks very much, but it's a little bit boring stuck here on the raft. You know, as I wait, I think I might just jump back into the sea and go for a swim. I mean, what an absolute absurdity that would be. We've just been saved from a life of ungodliness. Why would we jump straight back into it? So then what are we to do? Well, it's summarized for us in verse 12. This grace that trains us teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. To say, no, I'm not going to hang around in this surf anymore. You're drowned down there. It's a dreadful lifestyle. No, I'm going to live here on the raft. How? Well, firstly, in right relationship with myself, under my own control, which I wasn't in when I was drowning. Now I'm going to live in a right relationship with my neighbours. And more importantly, in a right relationship with the God who saved me. And so self-controlled, upright and godly is the character or end product of the training of grace. So we can see from this passage that grace is the very pathway to godliness. It has appeared to save us, but it's the same grace that will teach us to live the new lifestyle that God's called us into. Well, friends, you know this grace that I've been talking about in this talk. Do you realize that you'll never be good enough for God by just trusting in your own good works? And that it's only through Jesus and his glorious death in your place that you'll secure a place in heaven. This is the grace that God has shown me and that I responded to when I was at uni. Before this, I knew of Jesus. I even taught Sunday school. I was a good person. I tried to please God in the things I did, in the choices I made. But deep down, I kept making mistakes. And I realized that my faith was in myself to be good enough for God. More and more, I felt that I didn't deserve a place in God's family. And yet that was what God was promising me if I was to willing to place my trust in Jesus, in his death on the cross and in the work he had done for me. And trust that Jesus' death on the cross is all that I needed. And so then at uni, I put my trust in Jesus, who by grace saved me. And so the question I have for you is, have you done that same thing? Have you accepted the free gift of salvation that's on offer to you? Not based on what you have done, not based on the good works you try to do, but based solely upon the gracious rescue that Jesus' death has made possible for you. Friends, if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus, you can do that right now. 
God in his love graciously has offered the very rescue package to bring you back into relationship with himself. Not based on your work, but based on Jesus' work. Are you willing to put your trust and faith in him today? But for those of us that know this grace, this grace that saved us, well, it's that very same grace that will train us, that will transform us and change us to live a different lifestyle, a self-controlled, upright and godly lifestyle that is pleasing to God. As Christians, we're not motivated by living by a whole set of rules. We're not motivated by doing all the right things. No, we're motivated because we have been shown such amazing grace. We're motivated because we have been shown such amazing love in the work of Jesus in our place and on the absolute assurance that he will come back to take us to be with him forever. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amazing grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this incredible act that Jesus did for us by dying for us so that we could be restored into relationship with you, not because we deserved it, not because in any way we could earn it, but because you loved us and by grace saved us. And we thank you that understanding that grace is what we need to be able to be transformed into becoming more and more like Jesus, living self-controlled, upright and godly lives, not because it's by our strength, but by your strength in us through the work of your spirit that's changing us because that grace that saved us is the same grace that trains us to live a life of godliness. Father, help us to become more and more like you by understanding more clearly the grace that saved us and the grace that continues to work in us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. That you would bend my cross. You 
Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Thank you for joining us online. You know, we thank you, Stefan, for reminding us again of our need to be rescued and therefore so thankful to God for his amazing grace that not only saves us from sin and death, but that this act of great love and mercy now motivates us to live for Jesus in our daily lives. See you next week.